0: Welcome to Sojourner True. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today, we kick off Black History Month with hearing the words of James Baldwin and W.E.B. Du Bois. And Hakeem Jeffries is causing quite a stir in his new leadership position in the Democratic Party. So why are some worried about his positions on foreign policy? In particular, controversy on his positions about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Our guest is Stephen Zunes, professor of politics at the University of San Francisco. And Anna Aurelio, federal campaign director of Economic Security Project Action, joins us to discuss the latest on the expanded child tax credit on federal and state levels an update on the earned income tax credit known as EITC and the movements for a guaranteed income and a basic income.
1: For Pacifica Radio, I'm Christina Onestead. The family of Tyree Nichols plans to lay him to rest today, three weeks after he died following a brutal beating by Memphis police after a traffic stop. The Reverend Al Sharpton will deliver the eulogy, and civil rights attorney Ben Crump will deliver a call to action. Sharpton joined the family and supporters at a press conference last night. We
2: are going to continue to fight this fight around police brutality and killing until we get federal laws changed. What happened to Tyree is a disgrace to this country. There's no other way to describe uh, what has happened in this situation.
1: Five officers were fired and charged with murder and their specialized unit was disbanded. Two more officers have been suspended. Two Memphis Fire Department emergency medical workers and a lieutenant were also fired. More discipline could be coming. Vice President Kamala Harris plans to attend the funeral today. Those also expected to attend include Tamika Palmer, the mother of Breonna Taylor, who was shot dead in her home in a botched police raid. Philanise Floyd, the brother of George Floyd, who was murdered when a Minneapolis police officer knelt on his his neck for more than nine minutes, the brother of Stefan Clark, killed in his backyard in Sacramento while holding a cell phone, and the mother of Eric Garner, who said I can't breathe 11 times while pinned to the ground by a Staten Island police officer. Today marks the second year anniversary of the military coup in Myanmar. The Biden administration announced its imposing sanctions on a group of people and organizations connected to the military regime. Opponents of the junta warned at the United Nations. The military's plan to stage elections later this year is an attempt to legitimize an illegal coup. Eileen Alfandary has more. During the past two years, the junta has battled peaceful protesters and strikers and an increasingly active armed insurgency. The United Nations Special Rapporteur on Human Rights in Myanmar, Tom Andrews, says the junta is trying to legitimize its rule by calling elections for later this year. Andrews said other nations and election monitoring groups should not aid and abet the junta by providing technical support or recognition to the upcoming elections. You cannot
3: have a free and fair election when you arrest, detain, torture and execute leaders of the opposition. You cannot have an election when it is against the law for journalists to do their job. You cannot have a legitimate free and fair election
1: when it is a criminal act to criticize the hunter. According to the Assistance Association for Political Prisoners, the junta has killed more than 2,900 people, including 165 children since the coup, and arrested more than 17,000. I'm Eileen Alfonderry for Pacifica Radio. Pope Francis is in Africa and urged the people of Congo to find it in their hearts to forgive those who have harmed them. Francis made the appeal during a mass before an estimated one million people today. His comments translated by Al Jazeera. We need
0: to believe that we, Christians, are called to cooperate with everyone, to break the cycle of violence, to dismantle the machinations of hatred. Yes, Christians sent by Christ are called by definition to be a
1: conscience of peace in our world. The Mass is Francis's first big event in the Congo and comes on a day dedicated to his call for peace and forgiveness in a country devastated by decades of violence. Up to half a million workers are on strike across the United Kingdom in what's shaping up to be the largest day of industrial action Britain has seen in more than a decade. Thousands of schools closed, some or all of their classrooms, train services are paralyzed, and delays are expected at airports as teachers, university staff, civil servants border officials and train and bus drivers join a mass walkout. Today's strikes mark an escalation of disruptive actions across multiple key industries. In the United Kingdom, unions are stepping up pressure on the government to demand better pay as wages fail to keep pace with soaring inflation. In the U.S., Democrats renewed calls to pass the Equal Rights Amendment yesterday that would give equal legal rights to women and men. The renewed push follows the overturn of abortion rights at the Supreme Court. Edwin J. Vieira reports.
4: The idea was first presented nearly a century ago and passed by Congress in 1972. It failed to gain ratification by the required 34 states by the deadline in 1982. A total of 38 states have ratified it at one time, and five have since rescinded their votes, so it would require a new round of voting to be added to the Constitution. Hawaii Senator Maisie Hirono feels had it passed then, it could have affected recent historic decisions.
1: I agree with the scholars who say that if the ERA had been in effect Perhaps the Supreme Court would have had to pause before doing away with protections under Roe because they would be discriminating against pretty much a gender-specific medical procedure. I'm
4: Edwin J. Vieira for Pacifica Network and Public News Service.
1: Forecasters say an icy storm already blamed for six deaths are causing dangerous conditions for a third day in several states in the south. Weather watches and warnings stretch from Texas to West Virginia. More than 1,400 flights scheduled today were canceled. The list for cancellations includes both major airports in Dallas and Austin, Texas, and Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Christina Onestad reporting for Pacifica Radio.
0: And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Uh, Before we start our show today, I just want to let our listeners know that the funeral uh, for uh, Tyree Nichols will take place at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And that would be, what, 11 o'clock on the west coast the funeral is at the mississippi boulevard christian church in memphis uh tennessee uh for those of you who would like to watch it it's being reported that cbs news will live stream the funeral service that cbs news will live stream uh the funeral service and that's 2 p.m uh eastern time 11 a.m uh west coast time uh Before we also go to our first segment, to our first guest, today is the first day of Black History Month, and we would like to start off our show today with the voice of the late, great James Baldwin. For those of you who are not familiar with who he is or familiar with his work, I encourage you to just look into it. That's a challenge for you, but let us go now to hear the words of James Baldwin.
2: The proper noun, American. One will discover, first of all, that to be an American means a catalog of virtues. We have something called I Am an American Day, which I gather is meant to reassure everybody. <laughs> And to be an American in these terms apparently means check me out, you think about it. <laughs> apparently means that though Greeks, Armenians, Turks, Frenchmen, Englishmen, Scotch, Scotsmen, Italian may be corrupt, sexual, unpredictable, lazy, evil. lower than the angels, (laughs) we are not. (laughs) Quite overlooking the fact that the country was settled by Englishmen, Scots, Germans, Turks, and Armenians, a little later to be sure. Every nation under heaven is here. And not, after all, for a very long time. I think that it might be useful in order to survive our present crisis to do what any individual does is forced to do to survive his crisis, which is to look back on his beginnings. The beginnings of this country—it seems to be—it's a banality to say it, but alas, it has to be said. The beginnings of this of this country have nothing whatever to do with the myth we have created about it. The country did not come about because a handful of people in Europe, various parts of Europe, said I want to be free and probably built a boat or a raft <laughs> and crossed the Atlantic Ocean. Not at all, not at all. In passing let me remark that the word liberty the word freedom, are terribly misused words. Liberty is a fact which is also used as a slogan, and freedom may be the very last thing that people want. The very last thing. Anyway, the people who settle the country The people who came here came here for one reason no matter how disguised they came here because they thought it would be better here than where they were that's why they came and that's the only reason that they came anybody who was making it in England did not get on the Mayflower. (laughs) This is important. It is important that one begin to recognize this because part of the dilemma of this country is that it it has managed to believe the myth it has created about its own past which is another way of saying it, that has it entirely denied its past. And we all know, if we think about it, what happens to a person who is born, let us say, where I was born, in Harlem, and goes to the world pretending he was born in certain place. However odd this may sound, also happens to a nation, a nation being when it finally comes into existence, the achievement of the people who make it up.
0: And we start off Black History Month with the words of the legendary late James. Baldwin. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And um, speaking of uh, Black history, uh, the child tax credit reduced uh, Black child poverty in half in the United States. That's the expanded child tax credit. According to the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy, Of the temporary 2021 federal child tax credit expansion dramatically reduced child poverty and material hardship. And extending the the child tax credit, the expanded child tax credit, would have uh, provided the broadest poverty reduction program across the nation. Uh, Millions of families are disappointed by the ending of the expanded refundable child tax credit. Uh, With its end, six million children were thrown back into poverty. What happened? What is the way forward to get cash directly into the hands of mothers, other primary caregivers, and to families generally? Um, What is going on with the tax credit and also the earned income? tax credit, known as EITC, as well as movements for cash in people's hands, movements for a guaranteed income, and a basic income. I'd like to welcome back to Sojourner Truth our guest, Anna Aurelio. She is the Federal Campaign Director of Economic Security Project Action. Anna has fought for the public interest for nearly three decades, including in the environmental movement Anna welcome back
3: good morning Margaret thanks for having me
0: so Anna a lot of people disappointed with the ending of the expanded uh, child tax credit but just to define a few terms for people who are just may not have known about it or who are just learning about it what was the extended child tax credit and what did it mean that it was refundable
3: that's a really good and fundamental question, Margaret. And I wanted to acknowledge that the um, James Baldwin talking about Black History Month and freedom, um, the thing that Economic Security Project is fighting for is fighting for everyone to have economic power and that everyone has the freedom and stability that they need to thrive. And we see that coming from creating a guaranteed income floor a floor below which nobody falls into poverty, and that comes through regular, unconditional cash payments. So we give people the dignity and security that they need to make their own decisions. That's our vision. And um, the child tax credit created a guaranteed income for children. Um, It took an existing tax credit that disproportionately cuts out Black and Latino children um, because their parents don't make enough money for that tax credit. So it took that and it made it fully refundable. So it said, if you have no income or very low income, you should get this tax credit. And in fact, those are the kids who need it the most. So the American Rescue Package that was passed when President Biden took office took effect in July of 2021. And people probably started seeing that the child tax credit, which used to come as a lump sum, was coming in monthly payments. It got expanded. The amount of the credit got expanded. So families got on average $444 a month. That's $300 a month for kids under 17. And if you had young children under six, you got, um, I'm sorry, $250 for kids under 17 a month and $300 for kids six and under. And so what that did is it gave uh, families the ability to meet their expenses when they came due you know the rent comes monthly utilities come monthly and so making those payments monthly and increasing the amount and making them available to the lowest income families um, really was a game changer and it cut child poverty in this day and age we shouldn't even be talking about child poverty in the united states but it's a sad fact it cut child poverty to the lowest levels ever seen um, and especially as you point out, black child poverty. Um, so it was a game changer. It was transformative, and it really, um, it really started tackling some of the inherent racial injustice that uh, that um, is in our tax system by making the credit fully refundable. Unfortunately, as you point out, despite the best efforts of you and many people listening to the show, and so many organizations and members of Congress. And the president himself, there was unanimous opposition to extending this um, from Republicans in the Congress um, and one Democratic senator, Senator Manchin. And so we were unable to get it extended at the end of last year.
0: Right. Thank you for that, Anna. And uh, to avoid confusion, there was a child tax credit already in place. Is that right? And there still is one in place. It's just not the extended Um, refundable uh, child tax credit. Is that right, Anna?
3: Yes, that's exactly right. The child tax credit has been in place in some way, shape or form since 1997. Um, And over the years, it's changed and it's morphed. But because of its structure, because it requires um, people to have an income and and actually it cuts out people the underlying child tax credit you cannot get the full underlying child tax credit unless you make about 25 thousand dollars for a family with one child um, that cuts out people um you know making making minimum wage people who are staying home and taking care of their children so um, so that is that's the problem with the underlying child tax credit that exists right now.
0: Right. Um, And Anna Aurelio, our guest, Anna Aurelio, she has been tracking um, the uh, movement uh, for the child tax credit and also what's happening on the Hill uh, throughout this entire process. She is the federal campaign director of Economic Security Project Action. Uh, Now, Anna, what about now? Is there a way forward? I mean, we've seen we know that there's a change in the House. The Republicans now um, having the majority, a narrow majority, not as much as they had hoped for, but a majority in the House. Is there a path forward for seeing some kind of child tax credit, a refundable child tax credit? And if so, what is it? And also tell us a bit about some Republicans are talking about a child tax credit, but they're also talking about including a quote unquote work requirement As though raising children (laughs) is work in and of itself. Anna Aurelio.
3: Sure. So I'll say two things. One is, I think the the very best piece of news I can bring to you today is that even though Congress dropped the ball last year and didn't extend the child tax credit and the earned income tax credit, because people around the country saw how transformative it was Um, states are actually picking this up so you know at least 10 15 states now are picking up the child tax credit and earned income tax credit um, issue and working on either creating them or expanding them in their state legislatures and actually this tax season um, there's 10 states that have expanded their earned income tax credit and child tax credit already and they'll be rolling out expanded credits um, to people who live in those states so I think that's one of the things obviously that that gives us all hope right that Everyone around the country who got these payments saw the transformative um, nature. It was more than just a check, right? It was peace of mind. And we're seeing the states picking up this issue. I think the worst news is that, as you point out, with the House flipping to Republican control with a very narrow margin, it's unlikely that we're able to get anything close to what we want to see in the next two years with the child tax credit and the earned income tax credit. But I think what that means is two things. One is we have to build for what we want. And in 2025, a whole set of Trump corporate tax breaks expire, and there will be a big fight about taxation in this country. And I think we need to build towards that moment to make it crystal clear that families and workers who benefited from the expanded child tax credit and earned income tax credit um, need to get their due. And we should make those changes that we saw in 2021 permanent at that time. At the same time, I also think we need to um, hold Republicans accountable. Um, Those monthly payments, came to families, no matter where you lived or who you voted for. And we need to make it crystal clear um, to Republicans who have so far really opposed um, making these common sense proven changes um, that their families and their workers want these changes as well. Um, and so I think we have two years to build towards more of a movement to be able to get what we really want in 2025. And I hear you when you say, yes, there are some Republicans who have started looking at changes to the child tax credit. Unfortunately, the vast majority of them want to sink back into the, the, the way that the child tax credit right now operates, which is um, have an income requirement, have an income requirement that disproportionately cuts out Black and Latino children. Every single researcher that looked at the year of expanded child tax credit found no impact on employment. And in fact, found that, that it helped people um, get better jobs, get higher job training, fix their car, pay for daycare. Um, it helped families get back to work. And as you point out, it helped families who are, who are doing the real work of caregiving. And so that's just a false narrative that I think we need to dispel every moment that we can um, with people's actual stories of what happened when they got those monthly payments.
0: Right, Anna. It takes a movement, doesn't it, (laughs) to get policy in place. It's not just a question of going out and voting, which is also important. Always go out and vote, but it does take a movement on the ground. And by the way, Anna talked about states that have their own version of a child tax credit. That includes California, by the way, but California's is not uh, refundable. That's a problem, those of you from California who are listening up. Um, Colorado does have one that is refundable. Uh, so does New York State. Um, other states that have uh, have them are Idaho, I think, and what is it, North Carolina, uh, Oklahoma, and those are, are not refundable. The importance of refundable, as Anna pointed out, it means that those who are most impoverished can benefit uh, from it. Um Anna, also, um, while we're at it, uh, on, in terms of, of cash uh, for people, yeah, I also want to point out, Anna, that Politico.com, according to them, they did a, a recent poll that was commissioned by the family policy group Humanity Forward, specifically surveyed Trump supporters, those who live in red states, and they found that 70% of them felt that the expanded child tax credit had a positive impact on their financial situation. So, Anna, one has to beg the question whether the Republicans who have um, uh, opposed this and who are now proposing uh, that the if there is a child tax credit in any form, that it leave out the most impoverished family. It seems as though there is um, a disconnect between them and their constituency.
3: Absolutely. And that's why I think the thing you said at the beginning, which was people need to stay involved, you need to vote and you need to you need to contact your um, Congress people and your senators, right? You need to let them know if you got these payments, how much they meant to you. And it doesn't matter what party they are. Um, They need to hear that, that this made a real difference.
0: Right. And Anna, also, um, just before we go a little bit about the EITC, the Earned Income uh, Tax Credit, January 27th was an awareness day on it. Tell us about that and what's happening with it.
3: Sure. The Earned Income Tax Credit is something that um, really benefits lower income workers. Um, and in fact, it um The changes that were made again, these were sadly only temporary for one year, basically triple the amount of earned income tax credit that workers without dependents could get. So the average qualifying worker got about $700 more last year it also changed the age eligibility and again just temporary but it really fixed a couple of problems one is right now the underlying law says if you don't have dependents even if you qualify otherwise qualify if you're under 25 years old or over 65 years old you can't get the earned income tax credit that makes no sense those are arbitrary ages and certainly people who qualify for it at 18 and over, or over 65, should get it, and so it it made it bigger and uh, it changed the ages to to reflect today's working population.
0: Right. And just finally, also looking at what's happening in in the Hill, we know that all of the Democrats, uh, it seems, have uh, said that they're going to continue to support a refundable child tax credit. uh, And the champs, as they're known in both the House and the the Senate um, in the House, uh, Deloro, and on um, the Senate side, the, what you call the three Bs, I suppose, Bennett, uh, Booker, and uh, what's the third one again, the third B there? Senator Adam. Brown from Ohio. <laughs> Brown, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, now, uh, Congresswoman Gwen Moore, she's on the House Ways and Means Committee, and she had Uh, put forward a few pieces of of legislation, one in particular that um, does connect with getting cash directly in people's hands. I wonder if you want to say a little bit about uh, Gwen Moore and and the work that she's doing around these issues, and also to help, uh, finally, our listeners understand difference between a guaranteed income and a basic income, if there is a difference between the two. Anne
3: Aurelio. Sure. So yes, Congresswoman Moore is one of the big champs who understands the power of cash. And I think um, one of my favorite quotes that I've heard her say, when we talk about things like her bill that she introduced, which is the Worker Reform and Credit Reform Act, and that expands the earned income tax credit, it makes it monthly, and it makes it available to caregivers, um, even if they don't have income. So that's very, very important. Um, And what I've heard her say is, you know when when we talk about these transformative, um, you know, monthly tax credits, expanded tax credits, lifting people out of poverty, she says, look, we have to stop pretending that there's not enough money. The United States has plenty of money. We need to get it back in the pockets of people who need it the most. And so I think that's a really good thing for us to keep in mind and repeat often. And as you point out, there's a big movement around the country now around guaranteed income. And when we say guaranteed income, we mean regular unconditional cash payments doesn't have to go to everybody bill gates does not need a guaranteed income but what we need to do is create a floor in this country so that people don't sink into poverty Um, we could do this Um, states around the country um, counties and cities are starting to um Do pilot programs. So right now there are 100 guaranteed income pilots around the country. There's 39,000 recipients of some form of guaranteed income. Some of the largest ones are in Illinois where Cook County and uh, the city of Chicago have two programs that are reaching uh, about 8,000 people. And these are what these are doing is they're sending out regular payments, um, no strings attached to people who need it the most. And what the folks who are looking at the impacts of these payments are finding is exactly what we saw with the child tax credit. It gives families more financial stability, better health, less stress, the ability to meet bills, also less reliance on things like payday and pawn shop loans, because they're able to pay their bills when they come due. Um, So that's really important. It smooths out your income. And finally, there's no impact on employment. And again, as I said before, um, it helps people find better jobs.
0: Right. And Anna, just finally, for people who want to find out more about your work, more about the guaranteed uh, income, about the child tax credit, etc., the economic security project action, what should they do? Is there a sure. website, a place they can go to?
3: Mm-hmm. Sure. Our website is economicsecurityproject.org. And we have lots of resources and we link to lots of places where people can find more information.
0: Well, Anna, thank you so very much uh, for all of your work. And I'm sure we'll have you back as this movement grows and continues. And we continue to work not only for a child tax credit, but for a permanent child benefit in the United States. United States, the only, I think, Western country that doesn't provide a permanent child benefit for families. Thank you, Anna.
3: Thank you very much, Margaret, and thank you for all that you're doing.
0: All righty. We are going to uh, take our station break now. Coming up, our weekly Earth Minute. But also, what's up with Hakeem Jeffries? He's making a lot of noise in, um, on, in the Beltway in Washington, D.C. Some are, are saying he's presidential material, but there's some people that are questioning some of his foreign policy uh, decisions. We will uh, discuss that with Stephen Zunas and at the end of the show we'll wrap up with some words Uh, again a nod to Black History Month from W.E.B. Du Bois stay with us we'll be right back. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter at so True radio By the way, our website at uh, SoTrueRadio.org is up, back up, and running our community calendar and um, many more stories there. We're also heard nationwide and SoundCloud, and uh, we would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in the great state of New Jersey. And internationally, I'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in the island nation of Dominica. Um, Meanwhile, let us uh, turn our attention now to what's going on on Capitol Hill with uh, Hakeem uh, Jeffries uh, making uh, quite a stir on Capitol Hill. Uh, Representative Hakeem Jeffries, who was unanimously elected to succeed longtime Democratic leader and the first woman Speaker of the House in U.S. history, Nancy Pelosi, as the House Minority Leader. He's just culminated his first month in Congress in his new role, um, and he was sworn into his role in his native Brooklyn. As Congress begins to delve into the debt crisis negotiations, he's er erring on the side of resolving the looming national debt crisis, and there's more uh, that he's involved in in doing. We certainly have, in some earlier shows of Sojourner Truth, have played uh, some very uh, powerful sounding uh, clips of Hakeem Jeffries, a lot of people having a lot of hope in him um, in terms of being able to articulate the message uh, from the Democratic Party. But critics have point, pointed out that he has political and economic ties to um, right wing um, is, Israel Public Affairs Committee, (APAC) and similar pro-Israel groups. There are three of Hakeem Jeffries' top um, five campaign uh, funders. So uh, that's not the the problem, I don't think we'll find out from our guest, is not so much that he is a supporter of Israel, but more his positions in in terms of the treatment of uh, Palestinian people uh, that is being criticized, including by human rights activists uh, within israel before we welcome our guests let us go to a clip of uh hakeem jeffrey speaking at uh apac uh conference and uh that will be followed by him at a rally for israel let's go to those clips now
5: on almost all of its borders israel faces numerous and growing threats to its security and to the lives of its citizens from iran hamas hezbollah The security assistance the United States generously provides to Israel each year is vital to ensure ensure Israel's ability to defend herself. And as we all have heard also, some Democratic candidates for president have advocated conditioning or potentially even cutting that aid. Can you share with us your thoughts on the future of U.S. security assistance to Israel?
4: Well, certainly proud uh, to have supported the $38 billion commitment between the United States and Israel, historic commitment. Uh, that was executed in 2016 that we continue uh, to maintain moving forward. Uh, and we'll, we'll do so and believe that we have to do so in the best interests of the United States and in the best interests of Israel without any precondition. Uh, and, you know, recently when we passed the National Defense Authorization Act uh, in a strongly bipartisan way, it was another important step. Uh, that we took in this Congress with a House Democratic majority doing it in a bipartisan way uh, to provide an additional $500 million for uh, missile defense systems and continued innovation uh, in that area, whether it's David's Arrow, David's Sling, Iron Dome, all of which are incredibly important. And that technology gets shared uh, between our two countries, as well as anti-tunnel, anti-drone technology and innovation, which is, Incredibly important as well uh, and we're going to continue as long as I have the opportunity to serve in Congress I'm going to make sure that that aid continues in a strongly robust fashion no conditions
5: As I mentioned during the introduction you are the distinguished chair of the Democratic caucus Some of the members of the caucus have gotten a lot of attention for the uh, the confrontational manner in which they have approached a variety of issues including our issues could you give us a view of your colleagues looking across the totality of the caucus?
4: Yeah, well, um, you know, it's been an honor to serve as the chair of the House Democratic Caucus. Uh, one of the most, well, actually the most diverse legislative caucus now in the history uh, of the country. More women serving in Congress than ever before, more African Americans, Latinos, Asian Americans. So we're a big, diverse family. Um, we're a robust family, we're an enthusiastic family. Uh, the one thing I can say is that we will remain a strongly pro-Israel family as well. And I think that that was made clear with great leadership from Steny Hoyer and Elliot Engel uh, and Ted Deutsch and uh, Brad and others when in a bipartisan way uh, we put a resolution on the floor of the house to condemn BDS and the effort to try to delegitimize the state of Israel. It was important uh, that, that the vote was overwhelming amongst every member of the House of Representatives, Democrats and Republicans, that there was overwhelming support amongst the Democratic caucus, that was important, uh, and there was even overwhelming support amongst the Congressional Progressive Caucus as well. And I think that that was particularly important, and that really is the spirit of where our center of gravity is related to the U.S. and Israel at the moment. And then you had to deal with the first intifada, and Israel prevailed. And yet Israel had to deal with the second intifada, and Israel prevailed. And then missiles were flying in December of 2008, and Israel prevailed. And then missiles were flying in November of 2012, and Israel prevailed. And so I'm confident that when it's all said and done, we're going to stand together. Israel today, Israel tomorrow, Israel forever. God bless you.
0: All righty. Um, So there you heard Hakeem Jeffries. By the way, that first clip was from the APEC uh, conference of March 4th of 2020. I would now like to welcome our guest, Stephen Zunes, who is professor of politics at the University of San Francisco. Uh, Professor Zunes, welcome. Great to be with you, Okay. All right. Very good there. All right. So we heard him speaking at uh, APEC. We heard him speaking at the, the rally there. Um, tell us what are some of your concerns about the positions that he has taken? Let, let's start with the, the um, attack on amnesty uh, International, and a, a bit about that report that Amnesty International put out in 2022.
6: <laughs> Professor Zunis. Well, Amnesty International joined uh, uh, it a comprehensive report on various areas of uh, discrimination against Palestinians, uh, obviously in the occupied territories, but even within Israel itself. And uh, it concluded uh, the, the same conclusion that uh, Human Rights Watch and uh, Israeli groups like B'Tselem uh, had come to is that uh, Israel's practices, uh, legally speaking, um, you know, violated the international treaty against apartheid. And the uh, and and he, uh, his reaction was incredibly uh, negative. He, he claimed uh, that it was um, um, somehow uh, delegitimizing Israel's um,
1: uh, right
6: to exist. He claimed that it was just outrageous. I mean, he used all sorts of myths conclusions as demonstrably false and dangerous, so while claiming that the reports were based not on evidence, but uh, simply designed to isolate Israel.
0: Stephen, be sure to talk directly into your mic. Uh, you're, you kind of cut in and out uh, just a little bit here. But um, the report from Amnesty was 280 pages, apparently, and it included um, Israel's fragmentation of the Palestinian population into zones of control, dispossession of land and poverty, segregation, restrictions on economic and social rights, home demolitions, and forced evictions and and family uh, separations. And uh, according to uh, the late Desmond Tutu and others, this basically amounts to apartheid. And of course, many people are resisting uh, that, but increasingly, particularly now with the new government um, that we see in in Israel, I mean, that is uh, coming more to light. But tell us uh, again, uh, Stephen, it, just in terms of his criticism, his open criticism of that amnesty report, um, what about uh, some of the other actions he's, he's taken? It was a move, for example, uh, to criminalize the um, Israel anti-boycott movement for people who, who want to call for a boycott uh, to uh, as a way of pressuring Israel to change its policies towards Palestinians, just as... Um, a boycott was used to, to change the apartheid conditions in South Africa, uh, Stephen.
6: Yes, he's, he's not only opposing uh, campaigns for boycott, investment, and sanctions, but he's actually tried to criminalize it. He supported a bill that was fortunately blocked with, after strong opposition from the American Civil Liberties Union and other groups uh, that um, would have actually you know, had huge fines and, and even jail time Uh, for uh, advocating and sharing information in support of uh, BDS measures, supported by the uh, European Union and the United Nations. What's striking about the the, the specific reference to the EU and the UN was that these uh, uh, advocacy for uh, boycotts and and, uh, divestment and sanctions referred only to the occupied territories, not Israel itself. And indeed, um, Jeffries has repeatedly... uh, argued that opposition to the occupation, occupation to the settlements, is the equivalent of, of denying Israel's right to exist and wanting to destroy Israel and that kind of thing, and support legislation, which by U.S. law would would consider Israel uh, as not just the Israel-internationally recognized borders, but any areas controlled by Israel, including these Israeli settlements. And that's what's really striking. I really want to emphasize here that there are pro-Israel groups like J-Street, you know, that are pro Israel, that oppose the occupation, and, and and have campaigned and lobbied against some of this legislation that Jeffries supports. And even the majority of Democrats, and well, pretty much all pro Israel, um, support um, more of the more the country's line. But uh, Jeffries is clearly in the APAC camp. He is much more closely aligned to Republicans, and even more so if you look at political, public opinion, where 80% of Democrats believe that aid to Israel should be, um, uh, conditional on, on human rights grounds, as they believe it should be towards any state, but of course, as you, as your listeners heard from the earlier clip, um, that he he rejects those conditions out of hand.
0: Right, and you know, there uh, obviously, Hakeem Jeffries has a lot of supporters, a lot of people, you know, looking to him now uh, to really lead the Democratic Party uh, to victory in the you know in the next election some people are even talking about him as a possible uh, presidential candidate now one of the things that i heard in one of the speeches listening to one of his speeches to APAC, that hakeem jeffrey says he says look look at who i represent look at my uh constituency and of course if you do look at his constituency in, in Brooklyn, um, uh, I don't have the list in front of me, but Coney Island and and Canarsie and and some other places. Um, certainly, there is um, support in those communities for the position that Hakeem Jeffries uh, takes. But even within the progressive caucus itself, um, you know that is not a a uniform position. And you know, many people say, look, in order to make it in politics. Not only in New York State, but in other states as well, that one has to take a very pro-Israel uh, position, whether uh, and not criticize Israel, because one could one could, uh, on the one hand, be supportive of of Israel, but on the other hand, be critical of Israel's treatment of Palestinians. Now, your thought of this as a as an excuse uh, that's being used uh, to basically support uh, positions that undermine uh, Palestinians. Stephen Zunis.
6: Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's important to point out that one can support Israel and oppose some of its more controversial policies. And indeed, mm-hmm. the polls show that in the Jewish community itself, there is an unprecedented level of division uh, regarding Israel's policies. I really don't buy this... Uh, he has to stand up for his constituents' views on this particular issue because there sure. are any number of uh, issues that uh, um, you know, he's not with the majority, just like any other uh, member of Congress. And especially when you move into leadership, as Jeffrey has, you have to think more nationally. I mean, I, I've, I've worked in, in, in Nancy Pelosi's district for uh, uh, 25 years now, and uh, she frequently will take positions that are contrary to the majority of people in, in, our, in our district. And so it's, I really don't. But yet she gets keeps getting reelected by a huge majorities. I really don't think his political future would be in jeopardy at all, particularly given his political power at this point, uh, by taking a more uh, moderate, more J Street type position regarding Israel Palestine, right, in my sense that he actually believes this stuff, <laughs> and that's. Uh, That's uh, again, that's pretty disturbing in my
0: view. Yeah, and he proudly um, boasts about how many times he has uh, visited Israel and looking forward uh, to those trips. Well, uh, Stephen, I'm afraid we are going to have to leave it there, but given what is happening right now on the ground with the the conflict really yet again uh, flaring up, a number of Palestinians are being killed, including children. We're going to be following uh, this story, and we'll see uh what position um hakim uh, jeffries will take on the conflict as it is now and on the present government the ultra right government that's now in place in israel but so stephen we'll have you back thank you for joining close, us Just
6: to mention that remember that democratic leaders have traditionally taken more hawkish positions than constituents on foreign policy issues from vietnam to central america to iraq yeah and, and, but we've been able, able to change their positions by grassroots uh, organizing. So I don't think the situation is hopeless with Jeffrey's or or anybody else. And So I just want to leave with that hopeful note that as bad as things are, uh, we can change things.
0: Right, absolutely. And uh, Truthout has some articles, I think, uh, including um article by uh, Stephen Zunas. Thank you so very much for joining us. All righty. We are now going to wrap up. Our- show up. This is uh, Black History Month, and we want you to hear the voice. We're so thrilled, by the way, that the Pacifica Radio Archives actually has these voices of James Baldwin and and that you heard earlier at the top of the hour and W.E.B. Du Bois that you will hear now. And again, if you don't know about these historic figures, I am challenging you to find out more. Do your research, find out more about W.E.B. Du Bois. Let us hear him talking now about what is happiness.
7: What is life, but the attempt of human beings to be happy and contented in a world which with all its ill has a mass of sun and waters, of trees and flowers, of beauty and love. To realize this at its highest, we need food, clothes, and shelter. We need health of body and balance of mind. We want to know what this world is, how its wonderful laws act, who its peoples are, and how they think and act, and how what they have done in years and ages past may guide us today. We want to see, realize, and conceive beauty in form and line and color. We want to know our own souls and the myriad-sided souls of others, and then to imagine what might be, if what is, should grow to what we wish. This is life. This is the end of the fairy tale of life. We know this, and yet we sit dumb and muddled before it, seeing the world as a twisted contradiction. Yet the problem is simple. We have a rich land, earth and water, minerals and vegetables of every sort, breathtaking scenery in mountain, ocean, river, and vale. We have combed the earth of its races for strength, intelligence, and daring. All that is asked is that each of us do what we can, first to supply our own wants in food and shelter, health and learning. But more than that, that we do for others what they need done and cannot do for themselves, and yet which must be done lest we suffer.
0: All right. We are our sister and brother's keeper. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, The Voice. You just heard W.E.B. Du Bois, author of Soul of Black folk and so, so much more. Uh, please look into him and learn a bit more about him. But we are out of time now. I'd like to thank all of today's guests, today's show produced by me. That's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank our assistant producer, Alicia Vargas, our board up uh, Gary Baca. If you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230 or go online to Pacifica Radio Archives dot O-R-G. Um, so, please stay tuned for more programming on your upcoming uh, station and we also want to always remember uh, to thank all of the Pacifica flagship and affiliate stations that are listening to this show listening to Sojourner Truth we will be back on the air tomorrow thank you for listening this is your host Margaret Prescott And you all, please stay well and safe.